Good morning, everybody. How are you today? Thank you, Cheryl. I hear that some snow is coming. You figure that we would be experts by now, but it happens every year, doesn't it? On Zach's birthday, really? It, ha- it snows every year? We're going to have to talk to whoever's in charge, find out what's going on up there. <laughs> if you didn't receive an outline, lift your hand up and we will give you one. Denise right up here. Miss Denise Golden. Isn't it sad that we call people out? So, um, <laughs> those of you to take notes, if you so desire, just another way for you to learn what God has to say. Um, it's kind of weird standing up here because this side is really heavy with people. No, I don't mean heavy that. <laughs> Sorry, ladies. I meant full, full with people. My, my first thought was, what did you guys do wrong? Oh, is that what it is? I'll try to lean this way a little bit today. Well, it's good to have you here. And um, so uh, the outlines are just for you to take notes. You know, there's numerous ways to learn and everybody learns differently. And so here at Livermore Fellowship, we provide several different ways. You can some people learn by writing, so you can write notes. Some people learn by visual Some people learn by hearing, so uh, you can turn your ears on. So there's several different ways for you to learn because our our desire as Christians is to learn what God has to say, what he's like and what it means to be a Christian. And uh, so that's what we're doing here. And so I want to invite you to turn to first John in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's one around you somewhere that you can borrow underneath one of the seats. Um, We've been going through first John as a church. And uh, Zion is already upset. I haven't even started yet, Zion. So um, I want to invite you to just follow along this morning as we open up God's word. We're in a series uh, where we're going verse by verse through this book of first John, five chapters long, very easy book to read. Um, It's one of the first ones you learn to translate into Greek. If you ever take a Greek course, this will be the first one in your second semester that you'll learn to translate just for your information. So um, it's just the point is, it's a very basic book. If you want to know what it means to be a Christian, First John will tell you that. And uh, so we're going through it. And uh, so I want to start reading in verse three. And you follow along with me as we just would read a portion of Scripture. Chapter two, verse three in first John. Chapter two, verse three says, we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commands, whoever says I know him. But does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you 
because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, timeless and true. And we, Lord, learn long to hear from you and be taught by you and be transformed by you. So we quiet ourselves down this morning to hear from your Holy Spirit. And as we discuss this text we've read, Lord, we ask that you would apply it to our lives and to our hearts. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. So uh, when you first read that, I don't know about you, but I'm like, wow, you know, John, calm down a little bit. He just seems to go off calling people liars and, and saying the truth is not in them. Definitely not 2017 language at all. Uh, I remember when we first started this series, I told you John is not politically correct. He says the truth exactly how it is. And some people have a problem with that. And uh, so when we read it, it's important to remember context. It's very important when you study God's word to remember context. Don't pull things out and apply them to every situation from our perspective, because then you misunderstand it and misinterpret it. So remember that John is a pastor. He's an old man. He's getting ready to die. He knows his end is coming. And he's got these churches that he's planted all throughout Asia Minor. Now, remember, John was an eyewitness to Jesus. He was there with him during the miracles. He's one of the last ones alive who can verify that Jesus said these things and did these things because he was there watching it and heard it for himself. And so there's all these churches all throughout that he's planted, these little groups, kind of like ours, a group of people who have heard the message of Jesus, believed it, and are now gathering together and worshiping and learning about Jesus together. And John has heard that these churches are having false teachings come in. People are coming in and they're starting to twist things that Jesus said. They're starting to use it for their own benefit. They're starting to lie and distort the truth. And these Christians who are very young are starting to believe them. Because, see, back then people wouldn't investigate facts and truth and everything. They would hear things and they would just simply believe it without putting any thought into it. They were crazy back then. They would just like hear a statement and be like, okay, that must be true. They would see a meme on Facebook and they would go, that must be true. And they would just buy into it and they would get all messed up and confused. Joke number one that fell flat. Thank you, everybody. So. (laughs) So anyway, so so that's what's happening. John is. Serious. He's got a message to say. He's he for him. It's 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 a very serious message. He's got these Christians who are all getting confused and they're leaving churches and they're going out into what he would consider a dead end belief system. So John is writing to Christians in these churches and he's saying, let me remind you of who you are. Let me remind you of what it means to be a Christian. And by doing that, I have to expose what's not a Christian. There's no way for me to share with you what is a Christian if I share with you what isn't a Christian as well. This kind of stuff, this belief is not Christianity because they were all getting confused and and misled. So he's speaking to them and he's saying, listen, here's what a Christian isn't. In our world, 2017, we view that as judgment. 
Don't tell me what I can and can't do. Don't tell me you can't. Who's you to decide who a Christian is? But John would say, I, I was there. I walked with Jesus. I mean, I hugged him. You're talking about somebody you haven't met. I was right there with him physically. So John would say, I have some authority on this subject. I've got something to say. And if I simply do it in polite language, you're going to continue to be led astray by all the false teaching coming in. So I have got to take this moment when I have the microphone, John says, at the end of my life to make it very clear. This is what Jesus followers do. This is what they don't. And if you feel that's judgment, John says, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to judge you. I'm trying to be clear to save you. That's what John's trying to say. So when you read these words, you're like, wow, they're so harsh. Think of it more like a rescue operation. John's coming in because people are getting led astray. And he's saying, no, what you're hearing is not what Jesus said. So we're going to go through some of these scriptures, some of these verses, verse by verse this morning. And I want you to do self-assessment because these words are not just for the first century. They're for us as well. So ask yourself, do I believe these things? What do I believe? This is an individual thing. So look at verse three again. John says, we know we being Christians, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. We know we are a Christian If we do what Jesus said to do, we know we are a Christian if we obey Jesus. See, in our culture today, obedience is a bad word. Nobody wants to obey anything anymore. And we wonder why we're getting chaotic and and literally disintegrating at our core. Because obedience is not a dirty word at all. Obedience is built on relationship. Obedience is a cornerstone of relationship. When my two girls were little, if we were in a big room full of people and I gave them a word, they would obey that word because they knew me. They recognized my voice. They understood who I was. They understood the love behind it. Somebody else could tell them something and they wouldn't do it. In fact, I think it was Lacey that even said that once. You can't tell me what to do. You're not my parent. She didn't like that when she got home when we found out about that. But that's, it's a natural thing for a child to say, mom and dad are authority because I know them. I have a relationship with them. So obedience is built on relationship. Sometimes God tells us things we don't understand. Sometimes God tells us to do things we don't understand. Why are you telling me to do that, God? Because it doesn't make sense. But if I have a relationship That relationship is built on trust. I can trust that he is telling me something good, even if I don't understand it in my present situation. That doesn't make sense to me, God. But obedience is built on relationship. So John is saying, listen, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, Christians obey God. Therefore, people that don't obey God aren't. That's hard to hear in today's world. In fact, look look at verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. Who's the truth? Jesus. So John is basically saying, if you say you're a Christian and you don't live the life that Jesus told us to live, he said, you're lying. Man, that's painful to hear. You're lying, he said. 
and Jesus is not in you. See, there's not two different kinds of Christians. That's what John's saying. There's not the Christian that does what the Bible says and then the Christian that kind of does and doesn't. John said one's a Christian, one's not a Christian. I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody say, well, they're a Christian, but they're not really living it right now. What? I mean, that makes no sense. If they're a Christian, they're living the Jesus life. Doesn't mean they're perfect. We've talked about that. John's not saying they make no mistakes. They're completely as Jesus was in every way whatsoever with no sin. No, no, no. He made clear last week that's not the truth. But they should be working towards living like Jesus did. Not excusing it away. Well, you know, I'm only human. Therefore, I'm just going to live this alternate lifestyle. Friday night me is a little different than Sunday morning me. Christians are not like that, John says. That's a false belief. That is a false impression. My friends, it's widespread in our time now. Churches are filled with people who think they're Christians. John says they're not. Very few people will stand up in front of a group and say this. It's not easy. I'm, I feel weird saying it because I feel like, wow, I mean, I don't want it sounds harsh. But if I'm a Christian, I believe the Bible. This is part of the Bible. This is what John said. And John was there. He probably knows a little bit more about Jesus than I would. He was there. And he said, Jesus would not endorse that. So I just start asking myself, what parts of my life are not? And if my non parts outweigh my on parts, am I a Christian? I mean, that's questions we have to ask ourselves. I wouldn't want to find out after I die that I wasn't. And so Christians are always looking to live like Jesus. It's easy to live the other way. That's why everyone does. But the Christian life is a life of sacrifice. And I have to learn and work towards a better way of life. And that takes effort. So John says if they say they know him, but... They don't do what he says. They don't obey him. They don't live for the way he lived. Then Jesus isn't inside of them. He's telling Christians, pay attention to who's around you. Even though they claim they're Christian, they may have a honk if you love Jesus bumper sticker on their car. It doesn't mean they are Christians. Look at verse five. Everybody here still? Okay. But if anyone obeys his word... Love for God is truly made complete in them. If anyone obeys his word, then the love for God is truly made complete in them. Obeying the word of God builds up God's love in you. That's the point. Your relationship with God will grow stronger as you obey him. Because obedience is a part of love. It's a part of relationship. So as you obey God, you're trusting him. I'm trusting him, not my way. My way may seem logical, but he says, do it this way. I'm going to obey him. And my relationship grows stronger. I start to trust him more and more and more as I do it more and more and more. As I obey him more and more, my trust level goes up. And I start to see things as God sees them. This is progressive. When you first meet Jesus, you've got all this bad thought process, all this bad theology, all this bad worldview And then you've got this little bit of Jesus understanding, just enough to say, I trust you. But then as you start obeying him and learning his word, that grows and this part shrinks. 
So you progressively become more and more like Jesus. You progressively start to understand him more and more, understand how he thinks, understand what he wants out of life. And you start to copy that. Typically, after a season of obedience, when you first get saved, you're like, I can't do that anymore. No, you can't do that. You're a Christian now. I can't say this. No, you can't. I can't watch. You're all no, no, no. But through the process, you start to learn more yeses. And you start to become more and more a part of what God is really building. The problem is many, many, many religious people in our country, they get barely enough Jesus just to see who he is. And then they realize they have to give up stuff. And they say, no, I don't want to give that up. And so they just go right back to what they were. And they never experienced the freedom that Tom talked about this morning. Freedom comes from obedience, because as I obey, I'm free. Paul said, what I what I do in sin becomes my slave master. What I obey becomes my Lord. So if I'm just giving into my body, hey, whatever my body wants, I'm going to do whatever I feel is my my decision making. Then I'm slowly becoming enslaved to that. But Jesus came to set us free from that and to make us in him. It's a whole different perspective. So here's the truth, my friends. God isn't only interested in your obedience. See, the goal is the relationship. Your obedience paves the way for that relationship. It's not like God's asking for robots. I have no individual thought. I simply do what you tell me to do when you press the button. That's not what God's looking for. God understands that when you obey, you will develop the relationship to sustain you through anything. The true Christian life is a life of joy, prosperity, abundance, freedom. It's it's the best life you could ever find. The problem is most of what we know as Christians are just on the edge. Just barely grasping who Jesus is up here and then living this other way throughout the week. Not free, not happy, the most miserable person in the world. You ever met him? Yeah, you're afraid to say it. It's the person next to you. That's why, you know, you know, come on. You've you've been in church where somebody's just, you know, you're like, good morning. And like, what's so good about it? And they start tearing you up. They're just miserable. I want to be like you. Tell me about your Jesus. You know, come on, really? And you, they cut you off in traffic and they're, you know, they're out there picketing things and, and screaming on the TV. That's religion. Because the real Jesus life is freedom. I am no longer even connected to that. I'm not enslaved by it anymore. I am free. And he who the sun sets free is free indeed. The key word, my friends, is love. That's what it's all about. I love Jesus. I met him and he changed my life. Who knows where I would be without him coming in and teaching me a new way to live. And it was hard. And it took me a few years to get it together as well. And I had to learn. I met this redheaded lady who knew way more about God than I did. And then that changed. Woo! And I... But I'm telling you, my friends, when you first meet Jesus, you're just in awe that someone loves you. That's what, that was my experience. I was like, somebody cares about me? Somebody cares enough to die on a cross for me. I didn't understand all the theological parts of it. All I knew is that I once was lost, but now someone found me. I have purpose. I have meaning. I have something that is valuable. 
And then little by little, I had to undo the shackles of the world, those voices calling me. And I, it was hard. But if I had given in today, I'd be right in that mess with everybody else. I'd have just enough God to be miserable. I'd know all about who God is and those churches. They're so hypocritical and all that. That's all created because people are not making a clean move to Jesus. They're doing that half in, half out thing. I want you, Jesus, but I want this as well. Can't have this part. And Jesus says, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. So what happens is he lets you have what you want. And then you get mad at him. Those Christians are so judgmental of me. No, you never really became a Christian. You didn't really move that way. You simply got religion and religion kills people. So when John says, listen, if you know him, you obey him. It's not a bondage. It's not slavery. It's not I can't do what I want to do anymore. It's that he gives you a whole new perspective. I do everything I want to do. Ain't nothing I want to do. I don't do. Because what I want to do has changed. It's been transformed from the inside out. I obey God because I love God. That's why I do what he says to do. You know, let's give you a little secret. I'm physically stronger than my wife. You're all a little shocked here. I, I am. I am. She cannot control anything in my life. But we're in love. I'm telling you the truth. I know you guys are shocked a little bit. She's got red hair. Yeah, I know. She's had it her whole life. We're in love to where if something, she doesn't want me to do something, it's a relationship. In that way, I don't want to do what she doesn't want me to do. We walk together in relationships. See, people don't know how to do that nowadays. You know, in the wedding vow, they're taking out obey. That's because they don't understand the word. You know, if she says, I don't want you to do that, I'm not going to do it. Well, she can't tell me what to do. Okay, I can live there like a macho or I can say I love this woman. And if she doesn't want me to do it, I don't want to do it anymore. It's the same thing with God. If he doesn't want me to live some way, I don't want to live that way anymore because I love him. He's already given everything for me. It's not about what I get in return. Why do I tithe? I give 10% of my income to the church. Why? Because he says to. It doesn't matter that he says if I do, he'll he'll open the windows of heaven and bless me and I'll have everything provided. That's all extra. I do it because he says to do it because that's what Christians do. We obey him out of love. Anybody with me this morning? Verse six. Actually, let's look at the end of verse five. This is how we know we are in him. So a Christianity test. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lived. That's what John says. Whoever claims to be a Christian must live like Jesus did. Now, well, what if I make a mistake? Well, we talked about that last week. You confess it and you repent. The point, the point isn't to be perfect. The point isn't to have it all down. The point isn't that Christians are just, we're just these, you know, superhuman beings now. We don't make any errors. We never get mad. We never do this. We never. No. The point is I'm working towards every part of my life lining up with Jesus. Every part of it. That's an attractive thing. But so many religious people have made it look bad that the average person out there not in church today views it the way they are, are, are advertising it. Why would I want to go to church when they're just a bunch of mean, hypocritical people? 
I wouldn't want to go there either. Why would I want to go to church if they're just a bunch of judgmental, harsh people? I wouldn't want to go there either. Why do I want to go to church when they're just, they don't have any fun anymore. They just can't do the things that we can do. I wouldn't want to go there either. The problem is we're showing them religion, not Jesus. Paul said, listen, if you claim to be a Christian, you're going to be living like Jesus. And when you make a mistake and you fall short, you confess and you repent. And you get back up and you start doing it again. God dusts you off. Okay, good job. Kisses you on the forehead. Get going again. You can do it. That's what it's about. And as I do it, I get better and better and better at it. And all the people who are in religion get mad because my life is so good. They're like, hey, how come your life is so good and mine's miserable? This is what John tell us why. The truth of the gospel of Jesus is that he will come into your life. He will change you from the inside out. He will transform you. He will change everything about you. And he'll let you have that change or give it away. That's called freedom. John gives us a test of Christianity. How do I know I'm a Christian? Because I'm living like Jesus did. Well, you telling me that if I, you know, go out and, you know, do things on Friday night, I'm not a Christian. That's what John said. If you continue to live in that lifestyle and it doesn't bother you, you're probably not. The headlines tomorrow morning, pastor says you're not a Christian if you, you know. Listen, that's the truth. Somebody needs to start saying the truth because we've got a lot of people telling us we want to hear and it's not getting us anywhere. Test of Christianity. I shared this in the beginning when we did the introduction. Transformations that you should go through when you met Jesus. Ask yourself these. Number one, theological transformation. Ask yourself this question. How do I know I'm a Christian? Do you believe that Jesus is the eternal God who became a man? Do you believe that the man Jesus Christ who walked the earth 2,000 years ago was God in the flesh? Do you believe that when he died on the cross and rose from the dead, it was God doing it? First step to being a Christian. John is telling them this because there were people coming in saying it wasn't really Jesus wasn't really a flesh. He was a spirit. He was this. He was that. Because It was like 70 years after he had already left. Nobody really knew it anymore. They were just going on what someone was saying. John says, no, in order to be a Christian, you have to believe he came in the flesh as God himself and died on a cross, conquered death and sin for you and for me. Theological transformation. Number two. Moral transformation. Ask yourself this question, my friends. Do you admit that you are a sinner and want to stop sinning and live like Jesus? See, you cannot be a Christian and not believe sin exists. I don't know how that belief is out there nowadays, but it's just crazy. You have to believe that things are bad and things are good. Things are wrong and things are right. How do I know which is which? Because God says. That's my measuring stick. And so I have to believe in order to be a Christian, I have to believe I was born broken with wrong thoughts and wrong thinking and wrong views and everything wrong. And I need Jesus to fix that. And then when I become a Christian, I have to want to stop sinning. I can't just keep living in this broken existence. I can't do the Sunday morning, they all think I'm a Christian thing, smile and hey, hallelujah, bless the Lord. And then on Friday night, do something very different or at work, act a very different way. It's awful as a pastor to walk into that. I can tell you right now it is. 
to walk into a group where someone goes to my church and they're with their friends who don't really know they're Christian and they're acting like they are and I inadvertently walk in. You got to experience it, guys. It's the worst feeling in the world. I can tell you that right now. Because you walk in and there's tension. I don't even know what happened. They don't recognize them and they're there. It's nobody here in this church, obviously. But I've been in those situations where someone in my church is in a group of worldly people who don't know Jesus and they're all acting true to themselves and that faker is acting the way they are and I walk in and it's like God walked into on the scene and they're like, oh, they almost pass out, you know? Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit enters the room and they're exposed to the light. John says, if you're doing that, you're not a Christian. A Christian wants to stop sinning. I don't want to sin. If I've got anger and I get angry one day, I go back to the lover of my soul and I say, I'm sorry, that's not how you made me to be. That's not who I want to be. Forgive me. Help me not to do that anymore. I don't want to be an angry person. That's not who you are, Jesus. If I go and I do anything like that, I don't want to do that anymore. And as I make steps of obedience, he responds by building me up. So in order to be a Christian, you have to have that transformation in you. If you find it easy to sin, if you're like Sunday morning, everything cool during the week, I'm sleeping around. Brother, sister, you are not a Jesus follower. You are called religious and religious people get nothing. And someone needs to tell you the truth. This probably won't be the most viewed, downloaded sermon on Facebook this week. Nate, I'm doing my best, buddy. It's the truth. It's the truth. I had somebody listen to our sermon last week and say, American pastors don't preach like that anymore. I'm American. I don't know any other thing to do but tell you what it says. I can't make stuff up very good, so I'm just going to copy, you know, plagiarize. Third transformation, social transformation. If you are a Christian, ask yourself this question. Do you receive God's love and love him and love others? Do you love other people? Do you love people? You cannot call yourself a Christian and not love people. And and John's going to get into that right now. Look in verse seven. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command but an old one which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. It kind of sounds like John contradicts himself. I'm writing you an old command, but I'm writing you a new command. Okay, John, which is it? It's both. It's an old command. What John is teaching, what Jesus taught, has been around since the beginning. It's not any different. Love God, love others. That's Jesus' talk, right? Love God, love your neighbor. That's what Jesus said the gospel message is. Love God, love your neighbor. So John's saying, I'm not telling you anything new here. You've heard this over and over again. It's been around forever. It's old as the hills, all right? It hasn't changed. You don't have to wonder if in 20 years it changes. See, that's culture. Culture said, hey, that's cool. That's new. Let's change our views. And then five years later, eggs are not bad for you anymore. They're good for you. You know, you, 
whatever's happening, you know, the cool little vibe that's happening. Jesus is like, listen, it's the same thing I said a thousand years ago. It's going to be the same a thousand years from now. Love God, love other people. John says it's old, hasn't changed. But it's also new in that because of Jesus, everybody has the opportunity and the power to obey it. Let me explain that to you. Before Jesus, it was all on you. It was all on people to buckle down and love people and obey God. But when Jesus came, he went to the cross. He killed sin's power. And so when we embrace Jesus, sin dies in my life and I have less and less of a hold on me. It's easier to love God because I've got freedom and love flowing in me. It's easier to love the annoying people around me. Because I love Jesus and it changes. I have the authority and power inside of me to do that now. So it's old in time, but it's new in opportunity. Now everybody can do it who wants to live for Jesus. Verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light. Notice that word claims. Anyone who claims to be in the light, but hates a brother or sister... Is still in the darkness. Ouch! That hurts. Anyone who claims to be in the light, and Jesus is the light, remember John said God is light, whoever claims to be a Christian, but yet hates their brother or sister, they're not, they're in darkness. Now, who's your brother and your sister? The Bible says Christians, right? The Bible, that's who the Bible describes as my brother and my sister, Christians. So maybe it's that Christian that hurt me 20 years ago that I when I think of him, it just makes me grit my teeth. Maybe it's that pastor that didn't visit me when I was in the hospital one day. Maybe it's that Christian that 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 treated me poorly. Maybe it was my Christian parents, whatever it was. If I've got this animosity against them, if I hate them, then I have to check myself and examine myself. Am I a Christian? Am I a Christian? It's the Christian who let you down. It's the Christian that hurt you. They're probably sitting somewhere close to you, maybe. It's, you know, you don't, you, you, you unfriended them on Facebook and nothing to do with them ever again. Now, maybe you're like, well, I don't, I mean, hate's a strong word. Hate them. I don't, I don't hate them. Here's the definition of hate. Hatred is the unwillingness to extend kindness and forgiveness. Hatred is the unwillingness to be kind. If that person knocked on your door, what would you do? (laughs) Or would you welcome them in and be kind and courteous? Would you extend forgiveness? To extend forgiveness means I don't want them hurt anymore. It doesn't mean I ignore what they did. Maybe they were really, really, really unchristian to you. Maybe they were cruel. It doesn't mean you have to invite them into your life and here hurt me again. But I should exercise forgiveness and kindness to them. I should if I walk on there. I've heard Christians say if I passed that person on the street, I wouldn't give them a cup of water. (laughs) Really? I mean, come on. You should probably meet this Jesus I've met. I should exercise kindness. John says if you hate them. Then you can't. Because why? Because if I've been loved and forgiven myself, how can I not extend it to other people? It's an it's an identifying fact of Christianity that I have been set free 
And if I deserve love and forgiveness, why don't they as well? It's easy to judge and be harsh and critical and angry. And, oh, I don't like that person. I don't like this and I don't like that. And just live in this bitter state forever. But that's not Jesus. That is not Jesus. And the fact that so many people believe it is, is giving Christianity a bad name. Somebody needs to start teaching that that is not what Christianity is about. You can't be a Christian who hates others. Impossible. You can't. You can't be a person who is loved and forgiven and not love and forgive others. You can't. Let it be out there. Now, notice it doesn't say annoyed. It says don't hate them. You can be annoyed. You can be disappointed. You know what they did? <laughs> Some of you are like, whoo! <laughs> yeah. It's okay as a Christian to say that was wrong. That was downright mean. That irritated me. That was that is not right. But I forgive you. That disappointed me. You were better than that, but you acted like an immature baby. But I forgive you. I forgive you. Verse 10. Let's keep going. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. And there is nothing in them to make them stumble. Whoever loves, John says, whoever loves lives in the light. The light is Jesus. The light is his word. So they see where they're going if they live in the light. Real Christians, listen to me, real Christians have people who are helping them see this light in their life. If you if you hear me talking and I do this, too. If you hear me talking and I'm talking about somebody in my past and I'm getting really angry about it, you know, you need to say, come on, man, just forgive them. And then I'll judge you and walk away angry and eventually we'll talk again. (laughs) But we should help each other. We've all been hurt. We've all been abused. We've all been lied to and betrayed. We all have this idea that people don't go to church anymore because somebody judged them 20 years ago in a church. Give me a break. People in Walmart judged you, but you still go there. Right? It's about you. It's not about anybody else. Release it. Forgive. Kindness. That's not because you're going to get benefited. You're going to grow. You're going to listen. Everybody's going to have somebody who hurt them. I have them. But if I live in this bondage and bitterness, it'll drag around forever. And I don't want to live like that. And look what he says in verse 10. We're going to wrap this up. There's nothing in them to make them stumble. What makes you stumble in life is right in here. It's not somebody else. It's not another situation. It's not the politics. It's not the social media. It's not stop blaming it on your parents and everybody else. It's right in here. If my heart is pure, everything about me is going to be pure. So I need to work on my heart. Jesus, help me with my heart. Transform my heart. Because I'm angry about this. He can handle the honesty from us. I'm angry at this person. They judged me. They were mean. They were cruel. And I want them to hurt. But I want to love them too. I want to forgive them. Help me do that, Lord. Help my heart. John says, if you live in love, nothing in you will cause you to stumble. One more verse, verse 11. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. 
John says, if you live like everyone else does, you're going to be blind in darkness like everyone else is. The crazy part is people that are blind, everyone around them is blind. They don't know they're blind. They don't even know. It's like we all live in blackness. This is how life is. But when you meet Jesus, suddenly you're like, whoa, colors and life and everything's different now. And I, I, I can see direction and I know things. and I'm, I'm learning. Wow, I've got purpose. And then you notice the people who are blinded and they're like. And you see it for the first time. You're like, I was like that. I once was lost, but now I see I once was blind, but now I see. What are characteristics of darkness? First of all, this cartoon I thought was great. The guy up front. See, now everybody in line thinks the guy up front knows where he's going. Think about it. Where are we going? I don't know. The guy up there is leading us. They don't know he's going. Right? The blind leading the blind. This is what happens. When you watch the news, that. When you hear it on Facebook, that. When you get all this people rioting in the streets, that. When you hear the atheist say God doesn't exist, bingo. Characteristics of walking in darkness. Can't see where they're going. Logic. Can't see where they're going. Walking around. And, but see, they don't want them to know that they can't see where they're going. Because you don't want to admit that. So you pretend you know where you're going. Here, come on. Right? And everybody just follows along. Nobody thinks about it beyond, hey, the person up front knows what they're doing. Sounds smart to me. But the Bible calls them blind in darkness. They have no light inside of them. Therefore, they can't see where they're going. They have no future and direction. They're simply hoping things work out for their good. The Bible says the steps of a righteous man or woman are ordered by God. Your life can be great with Jesus at the wheel. Your life can be completely awesome. Everything you hope for is going to happen if you simply give Jesus complete lordship. Otherwise, you're walking in darkness. Second thing, they stub their toes. Logic, right? And then they get mad at either the person in front of them or they get mad at God. Think about that. I'm walking around. I've rejected Jesus by my lifestyle. I'm walking around blind. I fall off a cliff and I get mad at God for putting the cliff there in the first place. And God's up there going, I can't win or for anything. You know, it's like, what can I do? People blame God for everything nowadays. You mean the God that you don't even acknowledge exists? That one is that one you're talking about? Listen, my friends, if we give Jesus direction in our lives, if we have the light of his word dictating my every move, if I assess every decision I make based on the light of his word, I won't stub my toe. I will walk on a firm foundation. That's what the Bible says. The problem is, do we believe it or not? That's the issue. Next one. They get lost. They get lost. I know it's around here somewhere, right? I told you the story about being lost in the woods as a kid until my mother turned the porch light on. Then I had direction again. People were blind and in darkness. They don't know where they're going. There's a man named Christopher Hitchens. You ever heard of him? Some of you know Christopher Hitchens. He was what they call a new atheist. He was the new atheist. They don't just believe that God doesn't exist. They believe that you're an idiot if you believe he is. And they attack it and they want him out of culture and they want him out of the schools and they want him out of every part of life. And they're the ones that are, you know, if you put a cross up on your yard, they're going to come and protest you. It's called the new atheist. 
Christopher Hitchens was a leader in that movement. Christopher Hitchens got cancer. Christopher Hitchens was told he was going to die. He was in the hospital. He was a famous man, new atheist, in atheism and Christianity. Christians started writing to him and emailing him, trying to get him to accept Jesus before he died. Because when death comes, that's it. No more opportunity. And somebody asked Christopher Hitchens, what do you think is going to happen when you die in a few days? He said, nothing. I'm just going to stop existing. Lost. No idea. No direction at all. Now, let's say he's, let's say he's right. Okay, then we're all going to end up that way. And Okay, so I'm in the same boat he is. But what if he's wrong? What if this book is right? What if it's correct? Then what happens? I have to decide which am I willing to bank my future on. People who are blind, as the Bible says, are lost. They don't know what's going to happen. What's going to happen after you die? I I don't know. Let me tell you what's going to happen after I die. I'm going to kiss my wife goodbye. Good night. Good night. It's better. All right. I'm going to wake up in a party. That's what's going to happen. And all these people that have gone before me, my Nana, my Nana is a godly woman. I love her so much. She's going to be there. Woo! You made it. Hugging me, high-fiving me. Listen, that's a hundred years from now. But anyway. So that's what's going to happen. My girls are all upset now. We don't like this teaching. Let's move on. They don't want fellowship with Christians. They don't want to fellowship with Christians. You want to know how you can tell somebody's backsliding? They stop coming to church. First thing. Well, I mean, I, was, I overslept or, oh, I did that. Whatever excuse the enemy gives them. They don't want to fellowship with Christians anymore. Because why do I want to fellowship with people in light if I'm in darkness, if I'm blind and they can see? I don't want to be around that. So they don't want to fellowship with Christians. And then finally, they don't want anyone to speak into their life. Don't you tell me what to do. Don't you act like you have it all together. Don't you do that. Listen, I want people to speak into my life. I want to get better and better and better at this. Because guess what? I don't know it all. And I want somebody to come alongside me and say, here, this is my thoughts. And I'd be like, great, I'm going to try that. Because that's what it means to be in community. John says, Christians walk in the light. They walk in the light. And you know they're walking in the light because they love God and they love other people. How can you tell I love God? You really can't. If I said you all love God, you've got to take my word for it. If you say I love you love Jesus, okay. But I can tell if you love the person next to you. I can tell how you treat other people. That's glaring. So real Christianity is about loving Jesus and loving other people. John says if you hate other people... You are in darkness. You don't know where you're going because you're blinded. So I want to encourage you. I know that this can be a hard word. I know that it can be a word where you're like, wow, you know, I feel really, really ripped apart this morning. I don't want you to feel that way. I want you instead to feel empowered. Because I can tell you that when I met Jesus, everything changed. I've been in religious churches I've seen religious people and it's now gone to a point where I've walked with Jesus long enough to where that religion just jumps out at me and I instantly recoil and walk away. I don't want anything to do with religion. 
Give me Jesus 100%. If more of us would get serious about Jesus, and I mean serious on Tuesday afternoon when your boss has irritated you all day. That's when I'm talking serious. If you get like that, my friends, your life will change for the better. Amen? Are you happy still? Okay, everybody stand. Except for my girls. They're not happy anymore. Thank you, Lord. Father, we know that some parts of your word are hard to digest, especially in our modern viewpoints. We naturally recoil when someone says the word obedience. We want to do our thing. We want to make our own decisions. We want to be independent. We don't want anyone to control us. And yet, in reality, that's an impossibility. Because I'm going to be controlled by something. My own flesh, sin, you. Father, help us learn obedience is a powerful word. An empowering word. And when we give you full control of our lives, when we look to your word as our guide in life, when we look to make every part of our lives measure up to you, our language, what we say, what we look at, what we think about, have it all measure up to your word, then we will start to see life become overwhelmingly full. I pray for my friends today. If anyone is listening here or online And when we looked at those three questions, they're like, you know what? I don't know if that's me. Then, Father, I ask that you would lead them to myself, lead them to another Christian who can introduce them to you. And then let the transformation begin. I pray you bless my friends. Give us a wonderful week, Lord, a full, refreshing week. And bring us back together in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.